1: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, one of the biggest Tesla bulls on Wall Street. Ron Barron, his big, big bets on the world's wealthiest man.
2: There would not be electric cars were it not for Elon Musk. This guy is dedicating himself to making the planet and humanity able to survive and the billionaire
0: on other billionaires, Ron Barron's take on a Washington wealth tax.
2: I don't really understand why there's a vindictiveness against someone who works the way he has and doesn't make any money unless the shareholders and his business do well.
0: And more on taxing the richest on the ground in D.C. with CNBC's Alan Mui. Once the precedent has been set,
3: the concern among some is that it can easily be lowered in future tax
0: debates. Plus, some of us are getting a boost, but Robinhood stock is taking a hit.
4: I think of it as a meme player, but we need to think of it as a crypto player.
0: It's Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now.
1: Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please.
5: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
1: Shares of Robinhood plunging. The stock trading platform reported a big miss of revenue for the third quarter as crypto trading dropped off. Crypto revenue fell from $233 million in the prior quarter to just $51 million. Speaking about crypto volatility, company CFO Jason Warnick telling CNBC, frankly, It's going to be impossible for us to accurately predict revenue on a quarter-to-quarter basis. Somebody's trading uh, crypto this morning because (laughs) Bitcoin is down at around $58,000.
4: Classic uh, growth story. Year over year, still big gains sequentially, quarterly. Like the same year over year gain was a drop uh, sequentially uh, for Robinhood. You know that? It's got to grow uh, to, to grow into the valuation that it already has. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm sure it will. And I didn't. You know. I think of it as a meme player, not as. But we need to think of it as a crypto player. And well, that, I don't know. That, is it? That was the is bulk it? their, right. their revenue. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
4: Is it all? Is it all Bitcoin? Are they like. They need Shibu, Ina, like uh, <laughs> things to. to One work. of the other big issues was that they. That I think really has
1: uh, worried investors because of what they said yesterday was. They're not necessarily going to be putting new crypto uh, currencies on the platform. So there was a whole view that they were just going to start putting lots of new things on. There was a reference to the SEC in terms of how they're looking at the company. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they play relative to, for example, how Coinbase plays. You remember Brian Armstrong is actually much more defiant about the SEC.
5: Well, the, the uh, gamification, you know, the, the SEC has been so strident about the gamification of investing and not liking that. Um, but that's something that Robinhood, you know, it's gotten the more trades. When you incentivize people to trade, you make more money off of those. If, if you're going to be pressured and not allowed to, to use some of those fancy things like um, yeah, confetti when you make a trade and different things like that, um, does that in turn hurt your growth,
4: too? I like to just saying, you know, it's just very difficult to accurately forecast our revenue in crypto. It's like, what is, can you accurately forecast about crypto? Uh, the price, is there anything about crypto that you can accurately forecast? I, I don't, the only thing that gets me is how weirdly mainstream it's getting. Like watching, you know, baseball and seeing the big crypto. Are you in? Or, and, you know, Tom Brady and Giselle and all that. It's just, it, it's really getting widespread, which... Does that concern you i mean well it no uh, it just makes me it makes me think it's less likely that it's all one big sort of you know some people it, it, in recent in recent weeks some some of our smart people not all you know a lot of other smart people think it's here to stay but you know who do we have dalio or uh, uh, Jay, uh, Jamie Dimon? there's still still people saying it's absolutely worthless so uh there'd be a lot of people take a lot of people with it, with with it if it really ever is just a big pool of bulb.
5: It it reminds me a little bit of the dot-com bubble, but, you know, you had Pets.com that came out of the dot-com bubble, but you also had Amazon. So Uh, maybe some survivors that come out of this and and really thrive.
4: Well, you got Rand Paul saying it's going to be the reserve currency of the world, and you got, you know, others saying that it's worthless. So it's somewhere, probably somewhere in between there, I guess. This news uh, will be welcome to a lot of a lot of parents, obviously, and FDA advisory panels recommended that regulators authorize uh, the Pfizer COVID vaccine in this case for 5 to 11 year olds. That would bring uh, 28 million children eligible uh, for shots. The FDA follows the panel's advice in the coming days. The CDC needs to sign off uh, before shots could be uh, administered. It's kind of weird right now. The, uh, the the number of new vaccines is like 150,000 a day but the number of people getting boosters is like 350,000 right. a day higher. which which makes sense because those are people that already have made the decision I'm going with it and and you know if there's if you're going to have vaccine hesitancy you probably don't have it on the booster you have it on that initial on the first shot on the on right. the first shot right.
5: I think they're, look, with kids, it's obviously going to be more controversial, um, going yeah. all the way down to as young as five. I get my kids a flu shot every year. I have faith in the mRNA vaccines. So yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to it, especially because I have one child who is at heightened risk. Um, so, And it, it's not just that. If you have grandparents around who are at heightened risk or anybody else, the idea that the kids could be carriers probably concerns uh-huh. you too. Um, I, I look at the data in, in the U.K. right now, and the biggest area where they are seeing increases in the in the case count right now where it's been a big concern ages 7 to 14 I think is the biggest area because those kids haven't been vaccinated yet you also hear about the long-term effects from COVID maybe 50 percent of people who have it have some long-term effects months after they they kind of kick COVID that come back and all of those are things that concern me you're gonna have other parents I could only
4: uh, I'm only typing right handed today
5: did you get your shot yesterday
4: oh man Left. I, I wasn't going to disclose you. it because I didn't want to tell Sorkin because I didn't want to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But you uh, did it. Good for you. It's all I got is uh, half dose, all of it, but it's sore. Yeah. And I, I will say that after, kind of like yesterday morning, I, I was tired uh, later in the day and I fell asleep a couple of times, but I was watching CNN. So I, once again, <laughs> I don't know whether, you know, I don't know whether it was the shot or whether it just... You know what I mean? 3, you, 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 3:30 wake up call combined with I was with not what I was kidding. watching, yeah. I was not watching CNN. Yeah. That was it does doesn't happen. That part <laughs> didn't make sense to me. That part of the story. <laughs> well, I, I I tried to figure out what I, who, who could I say? I, you know, I can't I got to watch if I'm watching a movie that is a universal movie, I, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say any of our sister channels. I don't want to say anything on CNBC put me to sleep. I don't want to say. So, uh, you know, I had to I, they were my go-to. Uh.
5: We appreciate that. The thought process. You do have a filter.
0: See? <laughs> Coming up on Squawk Pod, Tesla's biggest bull. Why billionaire investor Ron Barron bet big on Elon Musk.
2: When COVID hit, all the car companies canceled their orders. Or they scaled them way back. Elon increased his.
0: And why he's still betting for a little while.
2: We'll probably be an investor for another 10 years at least.
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Our highlight today is a chat with star buy and hold investor Ron Barron. His eponymous Barron Funds is an asset manager with 16 funds, almost $55 billion under management. Of that $55 billion, well over six are in Tesla shares, $6 billion. That's almost 11% of the firm's assets. So safe to say, Ron Barron is a big fan of Elon Musk. And for him, a bet on Elon is a bet on a different kind of future, a new world of autos and automakers.
4: Tesla's long-term competitive advantage will be uh, manufacturing. Because all cars will be electric, eventually all cars will be autonomous. The thing that's the hardest to, I think, uh, sort of match Tesla on or copy is manufacturing.
0: That was Musk earlier this month. As of this week, Tesla's market cap now sits at a whopping $1 trillion, which means Elon Musk and all the people that bet on him, Mr. Barron, are doing pretty well, too. Here's Becky Quick kicking off an extended conversation with one of the biggest Tesla bulls on Wall Street, Ron Barron. Ron, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here today.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
5: So let's start with Tesla today, because you've been outperforming the markets pretty handily because of a lot of your investments, not the least of which is Tesla. Tesla crossing over $1,000 a share, uh, which is pretty remarkable when you consider that you own almost 6 million shares of Tesla for a valuation of about $6.1 billion. And your cost average for that is $42.88. Let me say that again. It's now over $1,000 a share. Your cost average, $42.88. That's a remarkable gain. Um, And it tells just about how long time, what a long time you have been such a bull uh, and considered Tesla to be a great place to be. How long ago did you make that investment? When did you start?
2: Uh, 2014 to 2016 when we invested but that is sort of a normal type of investment being a very long term uh, investment for us being you know seven years, eight years so far, I think we'll probably be an investor for another 10 years uh, at least, uh, same with SpaceX. Uh, but to talk about the profits that we've generated, uh, we now have 58.9 billion of assets under management and we made our clients uh, 54 billion of profits. In that 54 billion of profits, is included about uh, six billion dollars from Tesla from a three hundred and eighty million dollar investment, uh, you know, seven or eight years ago. But it wasn't smooth. The business went, uh, was, was continuing to increase, and the stock price gyrated uh, fairly significantly uh, in the first several years uh, because they weren't very profitable. It's very very hard uh, to accomplish what they have. Very hard. Uh, and in my lifetime, in the nineteen fifties, uh, there were maybe fifty four car companies. They all failed. Uh, when I first met Elon, in uh, ten years ago, I was very skeptical about whether uh, we would be successful. And it's only after we uh, they started producing the Model S, uh, we began to purchase stock. Uh, it took us two years uh, to make that investment, uh, and, uh, uh, and and uh, it, the last before we made the investment, you know, we went to visit and spoke to him regularly. Uh, probably followed it for three or four or five years before we ultimately invested, and. Uh, uh, most people were really skeptical. Roger Penske, we had investment in Penske Auto, you know, the car dealership, and uh, he bet me uh, that he, he wanted to bet me a lot of money. I said, I can't take your money, uh, but why don't we just play for dinner? And uh, and he said, you'll never make it, but I'll, I'll bet you dinner. He never paid the dinner. He owes me a dinner, uh, but uh, he, he hasn't paid it. And uh, But most people, his friends, uh, Elon's friends, told me they thought uh, this is a, uh, you know, I shouldn't invest, and they thought that he wasn't focused on on making profits uh, short term, and they uh, thought that was going to make it a, uh, an unattractive investment. But the way we invest is that we're investing in businesses that are investing in themselves, that are penalizing current profits to become much larger businesses. That's what he was doing. And so he was able to show that the profits that he was earning, he was reinvesting to build new factories, to start new models, to do research, to build new batteries, uh, to start all these other businesses. And uh, uh, as a result of that, uh, the vol- there was great volatility uh, in the profitability of his business initially, Well, he was spending the more money he was taking in, and, uh, and he was uh, stretching himself. Uh, but uh, the, ultimately, he now has factory in, in Fremont, one in Reno, his one is uh, gonna open in, uh, in, in Austin very shortly. He just opened one in China. Uh, these are massive factories. He's opening one in Germany. Uh, by the way, I brought a prop. This is the Tesla Impact Report uh, from 2020. And so all you have to do, it's 80 pages. I tell my friends, read this report. This is why you own Tesla, read this report. And if you read the report, there's not any way you're ever gonna sell it. So the first 30 or 40 or 50 pages are about uh, the prospects for the business and the opportunities they have. Uh, and, uh, and, and uh, then it has 30 pages on ESG and how they treat people. Uh, and uh, so if you read that, you say, first of all, the first part is so clear about the opportunity and it's so hard to accomplish what he has. And then when you read about how he's treating people and the social uh, uh, betterment he's creating and for humanity, uh, there would not be electric cars were it not for Elon Musk. In fact, you probably wouldn't be into space the way you are right now if it were it not for Elon Musk. So this guy is dedicating himself to making the planet uh, and humanity able to survive. Uh, So it's it's really remarkable things that he's done.
5: Ron, that does raise the question. I mean, you've made almost $6 billion on this investment. You say that you plan to be in it maybe another 10 years. How key is that investment? How, How key is Elon Musk to that investment? Would these companies, Tesla and SpaceX, which you also have a stake in, would these companies be the same without him?
2: Right now, they wouldn't. Uh, and so the risk that we have, the biggest risk I think we have is uh, his health. Um, he works, you know, incredibly hard. There's a picture on the internet when he's living in uh, Boca Chica in Texas right now by SpaceX, which we're going to see next week. I haven't been there yet, uh, and uh, he's living in a, a small, it must be like 500 square feet, and a little white picket fence around it, right on the factory uh, grounds and the launch grounds. Uh, and uh, uh, it's you know, television, I'm sure, and. Well, I don't know if he has a television actually, but, it, but there's air conditioning, and there's a little kitchen and a bed, and that's it. And he works; he sleeps five hours a day, and he works 19 hours a day. I mean, unbelievable what he's doing. And uh, so I can't wait to see that. And I've seen pictures and everything, and spoken about it. And but I'm really excited about that. So it, it, short term, that's the risk. And uh, you know, he's he's healthy, and i uh, I'm um, um, hopeful he stays healthy for a really long time. He's got big plans. He said he wants to die on Mars, not landing on Mars, but you know, li- after living there. But uh, I think that uh, he's healthy and working hard and brilliant guy and inspiring. Because of him, this is with SpaceX the two most popular companies for engineers when they graduate uh, to work for. It is you know look up in these surveys, the most popular place to get a job is for uh, in Tesla and SpaceX. They just had. A, uh, a, a recruitment uh, you know, uh, day, uh, an artificial intelligence day, a robot day, uh, about oh, a few weeks ago. And they said that, uh, but it was really, you know, I, I watched, it, was, it took an hour, hour and a half, uh, watching it, two hours. I couldn't understand most of the things they were doing, and my wife, uh, comes in uh, to the study. I had fallen asleep. I fell down and fallen asleep. it was after an, about an hour, and she said, "You're watching this, and why are you? Why are you in bed? What are you doing?" And so I was watching it. And uh, but after that video, after that day, the amount of people who applied for jobs there were skyrocketed. When when they have the Super Bowl ad and everyone advertises their electric cars or internal combustion cars. On, but Elon doesn't advertise at all, uh, the people who go to the website skyrocket. When he's on Saturday Night Live and uh, and other ad, other uh, car companies advertise on Saturday Night Live, he doesn't advertise, advertise on Saturday Night Live, the people who go to the website skyrocket. Anyone who wants to buy an electric car looks at the other cars, and then you go to Tesla cars and say, I want to have a, a Tesla electric car. But anyway, to go to Herbert Dies, do you want to do that for a second? So So what he said was, that what, the, the problem that everyone has uh, is supply chain, and the supply chain, they say that you know you can't get chips. So how come that other car companies reduced their production last year by 30 percent, and he's 100 percent higher than the uh, trough last year? He's gonna, you know he's running at a rate of eight or nine hundred thousand cars a year right now. Uh, he's he's going to do eight or nine hundred thousand cars for last year, but he's running at a rate of over a million right now, and last year he did five hundred thousand and he's on the way to 20 million, but, uh, but how did he do that? How come he was not unable, uh, how come he was able to keep producing and other people couldn't, why? And that's what he's asking, uh, uh, Deese is asking Elon, why, how'd you do that? And the way he did it is first, I'm an engineer, he says, and I'm focused on supply chain, and what is unusual about this is that other people, he thought that the major suppliers, the tier one suppliers, would have this in their pockets. They've been around so long, they're incredibly profitable. And what happened is that when uh, the COVID hit, all the car companies canceled their orders or they scaled them way back. Elon increased his. So first of all, they know, this is the guy we want to supply. And then what happens is that he didn't go just to the people who give him the chips, but the people who give him the chips, those people have contractors and they have contractors, subcontractors. below. He went all the way down. And so he figured out where, all, who, where the chips were, and whenever anything was short, and where he went, he found other people who had more. And then he has his staff of engineers, and what uh, they talked about was how he was able to very quickly, with his engineers, redesign the chips. So he redesigns the chips and gives them to the people who had more chips to make them for him, and he just doesn't miss a beat. So it was about being focused on supply chain. That's how he did it.
5: Let's talk through a couple other stocks, too. want to let people know about some of your other investments. Vail is a stock that you've been invested in for a very long time. That's also performed incredibly well for you. Um, You bought it at a cost basis of $37.11. The stock's now at $352. So you've gone from $162 million to $1.5 billion valuation right now. This this is a company that you've been invested in for a long time. And, again, this is one that you like because of the way they've invested. What what makes you— positive on this stock, let's say, over the next year or two?
2: Um, so in the case of Vale, uh, this is, uh, you know, back to, uh, back to work, back to life, back to going out, back to entertaining, back to traveling again. And in the case of Vale, we started buying stock in 1997 at $17 a share, 1996 and 1997 $17 a share. And it was then controlled uh, by Apollo. And uh, the stock over the next, uh, from 1997 to 2006, uh, increased to about $30 a share, and then Apollo distributed their Vale shares to their uh, investors and their funds. And then some of the investors and their funds are my friends, and they said to me, Ron, what should I do with my, and the stock was $30 a share at the time, and they said, Ron, what should I do with my stock? And I said, well, what you should do is you should buy more, but if you want to sell, I want to buy your stock. And so we swept up and we bought all their stock for the next year, year and a half as they were selling it. We bought all that stock uh, in the 30s. And those are people, some of them on the board of Vail. Uh, and, uh, and then for a while, Vail was uh, run by people, uh, by Adam Aaron, actually, uh, who uh, you know, we didn't agree. I love Adam Aaron, really funny guy, makes me laugh all the time. Uh, but I didn't especially like the way he was managing the business. And, uh, and then ultimately he was replaced by Rob Katz, and uh, Rob was doing all the things that we thought should be done: investing in the mountain, investing in ski lifts, investing in restaurants—ten million dollar restaurants, ten million dollar ski lifts—investing in snow-making equipment. Uh, so uh, and and making the place better uh, uh, to uh, make people want to go there. And and now uh, and and and, uh, and then they said they had the innovation of of ski passes. So therefore, uh, Ross Perot once looked at this business and said. I'm not going to invest in that because I don't want to be partners with God and because whether it's going to snow or not. And the ski pass is you sell the passes before you, it even snows for the year. And uh, they ah, were up so get to the money anyway. Last year, <laughs> I, exactly. Uh, they were up to 50% uh, uh, of the lift ticket revenues were coming from ski passes last year. So it's a subscription business. And then they bought these other mountains around. You can buy passes and bail from Vermont uh, and, uh, uh, and, and from Australia. Uh, But now, uh, this last year was uh, 50 percent. They lowered the price this year. The the tickets are up over 50 percent this year. Revenue is up over 50 percent. They're going to, I think, do 75 percent of the revenues are going to come from from lift tickets this year uh, that are sold in advance. And uh, so here it's not expensive. It's an inflation play. Uh, It's a travel play. And and, oh, we got a new executive. And I've been very lucky investing in businesses that are run uh, and operated by uh, female executives. And uh, we have a woman who's been there for, um, I guess seven or eight or nine or 10 years, at consumer products skills, and she is into data and harvesting and, uh, and figuring out where people are in the mountain, where they're skiing, uh, and, uh, and, and knowing that we need to have uh, lifts there that are faster than they were before. We know exactly. So we're gonna have a $300 million capital program this year in Vail uh, to invest w- by her data uh, so therefore, people, when they're up 50 percent, we want to make sure that when they come there, they have a great experience. So I think we're going to double our money again in Vail in the next five or six or seven years. Uh, and, it's a, and, and someone's going to come along someday and say, man, I just got a, a Vladimir's my best friend, uh, but maybe I should own something other than uh, in Russia. So um, basically, someone ultimately is going to buy Vail.
5: Hey, hey, Ron, let me ask you. You said you didn't like the way Adam Aaron was running Vail. What do you think of what he's doing at AMC Theatres?
2: I, I don't follow it very much. I spoke with him, uh, I guess, a month or two ago. What I didn't like about Vail was he was taking the money he was making on the mountain and spending it on hotels outside of Vail. And I said, gee, if I wanted to buy hotels outside of Vail, I could do that by myself. I don't need you to do it. I need to invest in Vail. So that's what I didn't like about that. And uh, and for, uh, for AMC, um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I see uh, you buy popcorn. They let you buy the stock, or if you buy the stock, they let you buy popcorn for free. I don't. I don't know. He's a he's a really he's a very very smart guy.
1: Hey Ron, uh, less of an investing question and maybe more of a policy question, but hoping you'd weigh in. You've obviously had an enormous amount of success, and uh, we we often call you a billionaire investor. Um, what do you think of this new tax plan uh, that? could tax unrealized gains I don't know if you would be one of the 700 or not but Elon Musk surely would be
2: feels like the uh, like, like uh, Congress thinks that they're Robin Hood uh, from the old days uh, and it feels like the Elon Musk uh, tax bill whether well, there's like big billionaires' there's little billionaires so he's a big billionaire and uh, and and so I don't really understand uh, why there's a vindictiveness against someone who works the way he has uh, and and doesn't make any money unless the shareholders and his business uh, do well, and the people uh, who, uh, you know, who are benefiting from what he does. Uh, but you know, they, they have a, um, a meeting at the White House for, uh, you know, for uh, companies that are uh, advancing EVs, electric vehicles, and they invite uh, Ford and General Motors and Chrysler and the UAW, and they say thank you very much for all you've done to uh, advance EVs, and, uh, and they don't invite Tesla. <laughs> is that crazy? And then, uh, and then they send uh, you know into space further uh, with civilian astronauts further uh, than anyone has ever gone before. And and uh, Musk saves uh, the government billions and billions of dollars uh, for defense. And they're about to have uh, you know you want to have a more uh, level of distribution of wealth. Well, the only way you're going to do that is you edu- educate people, uh, so you have satellite broadband. Uh, And that's what he's going to do, going to make it so broadband's available to people who live um, in the mountains, uh, live in Vail, live in East Hampton, uh, that uh, broadband's not so good. Uh, And uh, so he's going to make it uh, available, and and yet when we have this incredible feat, uh, where it's a learning, it's a science uh, expedition. So to go to space, the edge of space, 60 miles, and return, that's you know that's okay. It's good, uh, but uh, to go into orbit is probably a thousand times harder, and to try to land what you have taken from orbit to Earth, uh, that's probably a hundred thousand times harder, and uh, and so you get a lot of publicity about the people. Captain Kirk going to uh, sixty miles up, and, and he goes three hundred sixty miles and stays there for three days and does great experiments. Not a phone call. How come? And, uh, and, and then you have the tax bill that's targeted at someone like him. I don't get it. And, and I don't also understand how people would uh, pay for these things. It, it, it feels, as I said, it feels like Robin Hood. So people see that there's a target out there. Uh, we want to spend money. I agree with that. Why don't they do something about the $700 billion they think uh, they can raise from, uh, from better enforcement. And then, this is also interesting. So so mansion. I just read this to the other day, uh, so he gets rid of coal or something. And then Manchin, they had a proposal that to help enforcement, they were going to make it so that you could, uh, you know, people cheating on taxes, they wanted the banks to report uh, flows in and out above a certain level, I can't remember what it was, $10,000 maybe, and Manchin said, I don't. Uh, he blocked it, he said, I don't want that. So here, the government wants to enforce more the, uh, the laws that are on the books and they can make $700 billion more, and then they come up with some odd proposal to tax unrealized gains, uh, which is going to discourage long-term investing in job creation. Musk has created 100,000 jobs for Tesla.
5: I want to thank you for your time today. It's good to see you.
2: Next
0: on Squawk Pond, Washington's tax debate rolls on, and the Democrats' plan to tax the wealthiest is taking shape.
5: The idea of going after unrealized gains is a big deal for any American who has spent time saving up and doing the right things by putting money in the stock market and hoping it will grow over many, many years. That's the way to prosperity for most average Americans
0: at least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
1: Up on Becky. Here.
5: Democrats' tax proposals are beginning to take shape in Washington. Ela Moy joins us right now. She has more on all of this. And, uh... I guess that's a relative term beginning to take shape,
3: right, Elon? Well, Becky, we do have information about two new key proposals that Democrats are now floating in order to pay for their social spending package. The billionaire's income tax would impose the capital gains rate on anyone with $100 million in income or a billion in assets for three consecutive years even if they have not realized those gains. Now, Democrats estimate only about 700 people fall into this category, but they could wind up paying hundreds of billions in tax over the course of a decade. Now, that idea is spearheaded by Senate Finance Chairman Ron Wyden, but the reception in the House has been lukewarm. Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal argued that his plan for raising rates and making millionaires pay a surtax on income has already been fully debated and vetted.
2: I think that if you consider that uh, the caucuses I've met with even in the last 48 hours in the the House, uh, there's more steadfast support for what we did in terms of rates
3: than
0: at any time since I think that we offered our proposal, which is now 40 days old.
3: Another new idea that Democrats are pushing is a minimum tax on corporations. They want to create a 15 percent rate on book income for companies with profits of a billion dollars or more. Now, importantly, moderate Senator Kirsten Sinema is backing this. She's calling it a common sense step, but it is currently unclear where she stands on the billionaire's tax. And that's going to be important for determining whether that can even survive. Guys, back over to you.
5: You know, Elon, I I think that this is so convoluted and so important to kind of pay attention to the details here. And this is not a defense of billionaires. Look, you want to raise rates on billionaires, put a surcharge on them. That is one thing. But when you start talking about taxing unrealized gains, I know they're only talking about it impacting about 700 people right now. But, you know, back in 1894, the income tax was only for people who were making over $4,000 at that time. The idea of going after unrealized gains is a big deal for any American who has spent time saving up and doing the right things by putting money in the stock market and hoping it will grow over many, many years, many decades. That's the way to prosperity for most average Americans. If you can actually do that and save and do the right thing over time, if they're able to tax unrealized gains, say your Tesla shares went up 100 percent this year. Well, what if next year they go down 80 percent? How do you get some of that back? It's very complicated. And it's the idea that you are no longer taxing income. You're taxing potential gains that you've never actually gotten a hold of or gotten any income or any result out of it. I get it if they want to put constraints against being able to use your your equity to to make other loans so that you can actually live off of that. I understand that. Um, But the idea of being taxed on gains that you've never realized is a crazy one.
3: Yeah, so there's a couple of things here. So, first of all, you would be able to carry forward losses um, indefinitely if you have them. Uh, You can also, there's some limited ability to look back for maybe about three years on some losses as well. So, um, you know, the ups and downs of the markets, they're saying, are accounted for in this plan. The other piece of this is that, at least right now, Senator Wyden is being very adamant in saying that this is only directed at the billionaires, the threshold for uh, having to pay this tax, right, Would it was not moving down in these negotiations. But you're right. I mean, the original version of this plan that came out about two years ago had a much lower threshold and was directed at millionaires. Now, there were carve-outs for your 401k, for homes, for farms, etc. Those carve-outs do not exist now because the threshold is so high. Um, but to your point, you know, once the precedent has been set, the concern among some is that it can easily be lowered in future uh, tax debates, and now you're starting an entirely new system of considering uh, how people earn their money when what is considered taxable income.
4: Those losses are like right now, they're useless. They're $3,000 in a year. If it goes it, by the
3: way, losses isn't getting back the money
4: that you paid that no, you never isn't. recognized. It, 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 you it's like if you have a
5: you get this offset of grand total
4: of $3,000. That doesn't make it. And you're right. And I thought Elon Musk made some really interesting points. Number one, that you do run out of guys like him eventually if you right, really and you start to. you gotta move to the that.
5: next level, and then to the next level, and then to and the then next level. And then he also
4: made something, a point that we're all familiar with, but most of it, if we've ever gotten stock options or or things like that. And Elon said, Look, when I get paid, he doesn't take any salary now. When he gets paid and those options have to be converted or they expire, he, that's ordinary income, I think, when he gets that. He said, I'll be at 57%. So Elon makes a lot of money. He's a billionaire. Figure out what I, I didn't look at how much it's going to be, but it's going to be a lot. And 50 percent of whatever that is going to the federal government doesn't make him a POS. It makes him a really useful member of society for, for you know, for creating all these jobs, all of which pay taxes and him paying taxes. So the whole idea that that, that we saw with ProPublica, I mean, that 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 is a red herring. And it's OK, Andrew, go ahead. Well,
3: part, But part of, part of the part of the broader problem here, I think, for Democrats is that they no longer have a unified tax plan. They have these sort of one off proposals that may or may not interact with other parts of the package in the ways that they anticipated. And that is because of the resistance of, you know, just a handful, maybe one Democratic senator to raising rates. The argument that the House is making is that the most efficient way to get people Uh, To raise taxes on the wealthy and to raise this revenue is simply to raise the corporate tax rate and to raise that top individual rate back to 39.6%. If you can't do that, you're left going to some of these um, more unorthodox proposals in order to raise that revenue. It's it's
4: only two people on the Democratic side. There's 50 people on the Republican side, all of whom got elected by people in this country. So let's make it 52 people, not some small little group of rebels that aren't going along with it. They're like keystone cops with these taxes. And I, it may all collapse, which would be pretty Ilana, fitting. Elon, I have Andy. a much
1: more, I have a more cynical view about this.
4: More what, cynical the, than that? More cynical. That's going <laughs> to be the a chance, high
1: bar. Tax? It's a high bar, ender. What's the chance actually that they don't even want to actually do this? Which
4: Who, the is the to Democrats? say that
1: you hear the Democrats constantly say Who, that they? they want to raise taxes. They constantly say they want to raise taxes on the wealthy. When they actually get to the moment at which they actually have the opportunity to do so, we all of a sudden get into the details and everybody says, well, actually, these details don't work. We can't do it this way. We can't do it that way. We can't well, do it this. We can't did, do carried. We've been, we've been crying about carried interest for 10 years. We can't do carried interest. We can't do the, the estate tax. We can't do this. Oh, no, no, we can't do that. Isn't there something wrong here?
3: I think, I think what... What,
1: what, is, what is this, I guess,
3: is the question? Do Democrats actually want to do the billionaire's tax? I think that certainly Senator Ron Wyden wants to do it. He's been, he's been putting this proposal together for the past two years. Do Democrats actually want to raise a top individual rate? I think that answer is yes. I mean, well, Richie Neal says that one of the reasons it was lowered in the first place is because of the originally there was not going to be a salt impact in the, um, because of the salt problems in the, uh, in the tax bill in 2017. So do they want to do these things individually? I think the answer is yes. The problem is they don't have all 50 senators who want to do it. Right. Um, so I think that Democrats are facing a problem where they realize if they do not do something to tax the wealthy, then they will have been derelict well, in their they campaign can't promises. On this money. There's an easy solution Bring do these these the AMT, not only for
5: corporations, but also for individuals. Make sure that there's an AMT so that there's a minimum that anybody has to pay on these things. So, you know, shore up the IRS to make sure nobody's cheating and getting around the rules. Do those things first. And I think there's probably pretty easy agreement. You don't want corporations not paying anything. You don't want people, you don't want billionaires not paying anything. Make sure there's an AMT for everybody.
3: The IRS enforcement piece is also running into some problems, Becky. <laughs> all right. Elon, we're clearly going to have lots more conversations about all of this,
0: but thank you. It's great to see you. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen anytime to this podcast and leave us a rating, five stars maybe, or write a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps spread the word about Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
1: We are clear. Thanks, guys.